don't go social early on. Don't start putting it on LinkedIn. Don't start telling all your friends, this is your company, what's doing. It makes it much harder to change direction. If you have to call up all your friends and family and all these people and say, well, that thing I've been talking about for the last three to six months, actually I decided it sucks into doing something. So you were at Twitter. What are your thoughts on everything going on with Twitter right now? You know, Elon Musk took it over. What do you think the future for Twitter really holds? Look, I think the Twitter has tremendous potential. This, this sort of super app, if you will, that can do all sorts of different things and do it in, in a very sort of clean uh, fashion. I'm bullish about what can be within that Twitter product. I think too, the, the whole like free speech thing is interesting. I just saw this thing where he like removed the New York Times badge or whatever, because they were like providing false information about the, the Israel Hamas conflict. That was like pretty crazy. <laughs> Book launch, how many podcasts have you done already? <laughs> what number is this for you? You know, I don't, I don't really know. I'm losing count, but uh, you know, it's interesting just doing the, the podcast thing. We, we set these up and they're like, great, we got you slotted in for January. So it's like people, people plan these things sometimes pretty far out. So uh, that's been interesting. Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, for me, we've got quite a bit of people, but like, we just try and make it I'm like, you know, one of the uh, cultural values of attentive, I know this because obviously my wife works there, but it's like default to action, right? And I'm like, just get it done. <laughs> like, if you want to have someone on, get it on. Like, I don't know why it's taking people so long. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think that it's because they, they kind of do like a cadence of like one a week or whatever and like, you yeah. know, full schedule or something. But I, I don't yeah. care because for business books, you know, you don't really, you don't really have the same like big release that you know, yeah. like a, a fiction book or or you know a, a, some celebrity biography or something. There's not really that that momentum. You actually it, it turns into a word of mouth thing, and the goal is yeah. to peak over time. So you want mm -hmm. the sales to peak, you know, in year two or year three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I guess that makes some sense there. And for you, I I remember you sending me why we're on this podcast is because we chatted what about two months ago or something i was raising some money and i was like oh brian let, like let's chat you were gracious enough to say all right let's hop on and you gave me some tips right and then you're like hey i'm actually writing a book uh, and it's literally going to cover all of this in detail so you sent me you sent me like the manuscript or something it, had, it still had like red lines on it you know and all that and i was like and so i died i dove into it and i was like oh my god this is like amazing and why i loved it in particular is because a lot of the the startup books i've read in the past and this is just my own kind of review were like very theoretical right very theoretical and from from lots of people that have never actually been in the pit or like been in the weeds of actually building something it's all kind of from an outsider's perspective and so yours came from the perspective of hey i started tap cart which sold to Twitter. And then I, you know, I, I just started another company that may or may not be going public at some point in the future. Right. Um, I don't know how, you know, we could, what we could say, what we can't, but, um, uh, that was what blew my mind. So it was kind of like, Hey, here's actually how to do it from someone that has done it before, uh, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. I mean, my, um, well, there's a lot of great story books out there, but where we kind of saw an opportunity was a, a lot of the books were heavily sanitized. You know, mm -hmm. so you had the same 
you know, these books that would be like, here's the story from Apple and Google and a couple other places. And you felt like you'd heard the story a couple times before. Yeah. And, and it was like very PR friendly, you know, version of mm-hmm. things. And then, and then, you know, B, what do you do with these things? Like you read them on, the, on the beach and, you know, maybe it's a little entertaining, but does it actually help you go start your business and scale your business? I'm not sure. <laughs> so I wanted to just be very, like very, very tactical and practical on how it could be used. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I'd love to do an exercise with you, but before we get there, because um, one thing I'll say is we just raised uh, two million bucks as a as a pre-seed round, actually. So we just raised that, um, and I would say I'm a walking testimonial for you in the book because. I literally was like, all right, how would Brian deal with this situation? And I actually go back to the manuscript with all the red lines, you know, and I'm like, all right, how would uh, Brian deal with this situation? And no joke, like a month and a half after reading that and like kind of looking at what your playbook was, we ended up closing it, which was like, what, two weeks ago or something. Um, would, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, going back to that, you know, I want to, I think it'd be amazing to focus on your first 12 months of attentive and like, how did you deal with the cold start problem? Yeah. I mean, I think that oftentimes the, the, the mistake that I've made and that, that other folks make is kind of jumping right into a business and committing to that business and saying, this is what we're doing and going. Right. And you know, that actually, it does feel good to say, this is what my company's doing. I'm going to go do that. Let's go. And, you know, you, you didn't really take a lot of time to explore. You just went, right? And, I, and I've done that. And I did that. You know, we, we, we started the tenant with another name. And we kind of did it with that mindset of like, hey, I have an idea. Let's just go start something. And that ended up not working out super well. Um, because although it was an interesting idea, and our idea was this, this concept of um, helping big distributed workforces like big factories, It was that uh, we wanted a way for uh, executives and managers to easily communicate out to all of those employees in real time using text messaging. So, Mm. hey, I want everyone to take a training. I want everyone to know that we made some change. I want everyone to know, you know, whatever. Also, here's a survey. Give me feedback. Give me ideas. I want to send that out to everyone and make it really easy for these non-desk workers to reply. Because these are people that... You know, they may, they're not checking their email all day. They're not, you know, taking surveys all day. They're mainly on their phone. Let's, let's engage them on their phone. So that was like the, the, the initial idea. And I went out and I did, you know, we built the product and I did a hundred plus demos of that. And over and over again, people just didn't want to buy, uh, that, that product. But what they were interested in was using, uh, they had a big problem, which was they could not reach their customers. Uh, they were not, successful in getting in touch with their customers anymore. And they said, hey, can I just use this text messaging to reach my customers? I don't really care about talking to my employees, but customers, yes, figure that out. So it just it just comes from finding a real problem, which we ultimately you know turned over by talking to lots and lots of potential customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. It That's not the first time I've heard that story, right? Which is like, if you look at uh, sales early at Outreach, and at outreach, you know, early on, like it was a, um, it was really a recruiting tool first. <laughs> it was a, a tool built for recruiters and, or there was a recruiting tool built. 
outreach was reaching out using this internal tool that was built to sequence people with emails and stay consistent, right? And people eventually said, hey, we don't want your recruiting tool that you're reaching out to us. What are you using to stay so consistent in reaching out to us? <clears throat> and then that's when it clicked like, oh gosh, like that is actually what people want, which is like so, fam you know, sounds just so similar to yours, which is like people were like, hey, I, I, I get this kind of like mechanism you're using, but I want it for this thing over here versus what you're trying to do uh, with it, um, which is super interesting. Now, like, how often do you think that happens, Brian? Is that the first time that's happened to you? Or is that, has that been part of your process overall? I think that's happened in, in every company that I've started or been close to. And, you know, I think you've got to listen. And it's actually pretty hard um, often to make the change you need to make um, because it involves throwing away a bunch of stuff. Mm. And it involves going in a pretty radically different direction. And a lot of people are not comfortable with that sort of change and flexibility, you know? Um, sometimes, you know, people get really tied to a certain product they're building, a certain mission, you know, they have a certain vision and they just want to sort of see that through. And they, they block out, you know, hearing the feedback from, you know, people uh, in, in doing that. And, and just as an example, you know, we were, when we were doing attentive, you know, the, the initial name of the company was Franklin. And, um, you know, we weren't completely unsuccessful. We, we sold the product to a handful of customers and we had a big public company that was, um, went through legal red lines and, and was about to, to sign off and, and give us a big deal. And, you know, myself, my co-founder looked at each other and we said, you know, if we sign this deal, we're going to be pretty committed. Mm. And we don't really, we actually don't feel very good about where this business is going to be in two years. It'll be okay, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be a great success. Whereas this other potential thing we think could be really big. So we ended up basically throwing away six months worth of work across a team of 12 people. We ended up parting ways with like four or five people that, you know, would have only made sense. I guess it was only two people, but that, that only made sense for the prior business and, you know, really going in this other direction. But I think that that's really hard. I think that's hard to do for a lot of people because it's hard to throw away something you've spent a lot of time working on. And I'm talking six months of startup work. So that's like six years of <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about, hey, you know, I worked today, but it was a few hours. You know, there was some study I read recently that the average corporate worker does like three hours of work a day. Yeah. Like as a startup person, you know, you do like 12 hours. So it really is like an incredible amount of additional work nonstop. And then you throw that away. Like that, that really sucks. Yeah. And I heard someone the other day say something like around um, inertia can sometimes be the worst thing for you. Right. Which you kind of, uh, you kind of avoided this inertia that you, you almost would have had with, uh, with getting this fortune 500 customer uh, because you were going to be married to that, having to do that. Right. Um, if not, you would probably have to start a whole nother business, which who knows how that will roll out to do this other idea. Um, so, and that takes guts <laughs> to do that. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do it. But at the same time, you know, I think it's necessary in order to make something big that you're really excited about mm -hmm. and that um, that's going to attract the talent you want. You know, I, I had experienced this once before 
um, with my first company we started, it started out, we had a bunch of mobile apps during the very early mobile app boot days, like 2011. Yeah. And we, we had, we had this one app where the whole idea was like buying something in a mobile app, um, which at the time was, was a new idea. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like, kind of like wish yeah. where we like really easy payment information store, one click buying, just like buy immediately in the app. And we sold a bunch of stuff. And, you know, we were doing not, not a joke, right? We were doing, I want to say 35, 40 grand a month, right? So oh, okay. it went from zero to 30, 45 grand a month in maybe three months. So pretty, pretty quick that it grew. Um, but we realized that, hey, you know, that business, while it was okay, we didn't think long-term it was great. But B, there were all these issues we had for the app that we started building tools for. And we said, you know what? I think a lot of our other friends who have apps would buy these tools from us. Let's just let's just productize that, sell all these software tools to everyone else. And that's maybe like a much better business. Mm -hmm. And we ended up doing that. And it kind of didn't work for like a little bit, but after nine months it took off and then you know really went to the minute. Yeah, and that's what you sold to Twitter, right? That was like Tap Commerce. Yeah, so yeah. This is called Tap Commerce. And uh Tap Commerce was around for about two years. So we, we started that in June of 2012 and sold it to Twitter in June of 2014. Wow. So you were at Twitter. Now, th this is a, a little off topic here, but what are your thoughts on everything going on with Twitter right now? You know, Elon Musk took it over. Like, what What do you think the future for Twitter really holds? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that Twitter has tremendous potential to be um, this, this sort of, you know, super app, if you will, that can do all sorts of different things. And do it in, in a very sort of clean, uh, fashion. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish about what can be within that Twitter product. I think it's really good too, because it pushes innovation in the social space, you know, in the U.S., which I, I think needs more innovation, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see more innovation there. And Elon, I mean, when he came in, he, he, pretty much slashed what like 80% of the workforce don't quote me on that or something crazy. And, um, you were still CEO of, uh, of attentive at the time. Right. And so did that influence you at all? Like with attentive, like, Hey, maybe this thing's bloated or maybe, maybe we, we have too many people doing too many things and, and you know, how did that influence you at all and kind of how you ran attentive? Yeah, no, look, I, I think that I would separate the right amount of people that should work at a particular company in different roles based on different strategies and the way that you actually augment the workforce. Um, I think that for the former, when I worked at Twitter, um, you know, I think there, there was a strong general view that the company was uh, quite bloated, right? That there yeah. was um, there was a feeling like, hey, there's a lot of people that we, we probably could, could get along fine with without. And then two, I think probably more importantly is that investing in um, stuff that can really be important for the product. So, so putting headcount behind that and putting wood behind that, um, which I think is, is really the direction that, that he took things in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, 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 yeah, again, I think it's too early to say, and, and obviously, you know, Twitter is something that's gotten very politicized and, and I don't think that's great. Um, yeah. I, I think it, It'd be nice if it wasn't politicized and, and, and focused more on, um, you know, the, the impact that it could have uh, competitively um, for social networks and media and other things in the United States, because it, it should be a bigger part of the conversation. 
you know, where it can't just be Facebook that is, is doing everything. It's for the best of Facebook too, to have real competition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where Elon goes with it. I think too, the, the whole like free speech thing is interesting, right? Um, with it and, and him trying to not have people push a certain narrative and, and get away from, or Twitter pushing one narrative is, you know, maybe they have in the past and all that, which is quite interesting. I just saw this thing where he like removed the New York times badge or whatever, because they were like providing false information about the, the Israel uh, Hamas conflict, which I thought was like pretty crazy. <laughs> right? He's just like throwing, basically throwing them under the bus. Like, you know what? No one should believe what you say anymore, which is, which is interesting. Um, but I want to, I want to co- go back to, to starting companies, Brian, because your book is like, again, I think the best, one of the best handbooks I would say on this whole process, right? And from learning about you, and it sounds like y'all are really good at going zero to one, right? Saying, Hey, we're at zero revenue and we're going to take this thing, prove it out and see if we're going in the right direction. What are your frameworks? for saying, Hey, we've, we're going to build this thing and getting it in the hands of the right people, especially in 2023, where, as you know, like cold email, isn't what it used to be. Right. Uh, text message has text messaging has a lot of regulations around it. Like you can't just start cold texting people, right. As a channel, um, you know, paid media is getting more expensive. Right. And then one, the market is and another thing is like the market is becoming more saturated with with software tooling because it's so much easier to build with AI and all this stuff. Right. So with that in mind, like, you know, how if you went from going zero to one when in getting this in the hands of people and then moving forward, like, what would you recommend people do? And like, what are you advising companies to do in this? Yeah. I mean, the, the short answer is you have to compensate people for their time. So when you're early on and you're still figuring out, you know, what your customer problems are exactly, and then once you feel like you've, you've got an idea of what the customer problem or problems are, <clears throat> you're going to start testing solutions, right? You have to understand that most people don't want to spend their time helping you figure out what your solutions uh, should be. So you got to compensate them. I, I think it's, it's always funny to me where people are very willing to go hire someone, you know, go hire, oh, I'm going to hire some inside reps for, you know, 7,500 K, whatever it is, but they're unwilling to pay hundred dollars or $200 or whatever it is for a 30 minute or hour long chat with their buyer. Right. I would really lean into offering compensation to people to get their feedback. And this is before you've got a product, right? This is like, you just, you just get in there to hear from an expert and learn from them. Um, you know, expert networks and, and getting feedback has been around for a long time. I think that you can do a lot there by aggressively, um, you know, reaching out to people and offering them compensation for their time to get their feedback. Now, obviously, that's that, that that's different than okay, now go sign this contract, right? But that, yeah. but you only get to be hey, go try the product out and sign this contract once you feel like you have something that works, right? To me, it's 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 much more just focused in the early days on you know getting that feedback, um, and then if you feel really good about all the feedback you've collected. Then you build an initial product. You also are hopefully giving that out for a degree, you know, for free, make it easy to try, and then ultimately 
have people pay for it. Yeah. How much does y'all spend like get it you know, for attentive, for example, like what, what kind of budget did y'all have for that? Cause that's my first question. It's not, yeah. It's not that much money. I mean, look, you know, this stuff is, is all relative. Um, yeah. but you know, we in total, I think, um, you know, to get our first hundred customers, um, build the initial products, um, all that sort of stuff. We probably spent about a million dollars. Yeah. So, and that includes, that includes salaries for the entire team. Um, you know, families didn't take salaries, but salaries for, you know, anyone we hired, anything we need to do to, to get people signed and get them on the phone, design, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably a little over. Yeah. Yeah. A million bucks. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you think about a million bucks, to build something that's built to last like attentive, right? Uh, you know, now what's, what is y'all's valuation? A few billion or something like that. Uh, at that point, you know, spending a million dollars to figure out like, okay, like this thing has legs, we're gonna move forward, right? Uh, in the grand scheme of things, definitely not huge. And now something interesting. And also, I would just say like, that's also milestone over time. Yeah, right? yeah. So not like, you walk in one day and you say, boom, I'm going to spend a million dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah. We, we put some of our own money in because we had sold our prior company. We also raised, you know, about a million from outside investors across, you know, a handful of people, I'd say eight to 10 people that, that, that wrote checks in to that very early convertible note, um, to, 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 you know, see what it could do. And, um, yeah, you're spending, you know, you're spending a hundred K a month, right? Maybe, maybe 80 to hundred K a month. So, you know, you get, you get that, 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 uh, outside money makes you a little more open to spend the money. You spend a hundred K a month or something yeah. like that. It's not like you just have to write a million. You, you, you do some stuff, see if it works. And then you, you buy. Yeah. You're in, I would say the conversion rate on that. Obviously you're looking at that and saying like some of these are converting to customers as well. So you're making the money back as you're going, but that's, that's funny. Cause I've used this strategy I mean, if you look at uh, outbound prospecting strategies, right? Companies will do this with like gift cards and stuff like that. And you know, what's crazy is like, I've never even thought about doing that for like this early, what you did was basically prospecting, but more feedback kind of related stuff, right? Which is, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm actually gonna go do that now uh, because you're just saying like, hey, do you wanna be a design partner, right? That's kind of what everyone's shooting for these days or the ways that like, VCs will tell you, hey, go get some initial design partners, like have them use it for free, right? Ask them if they want to be a design partner. But you've made a good point, which is like, you know, not everyone wants to just go in there and, and use your tool and be kind of the guinea pig. They want something that's going to really like solve that initial problem. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you also have to find people that <clears throat> want to be guinea pigs to an extent. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, like, look, I, I do think that there's a little risk though. Because you want to make sure that when you're identifying a problem in the market, that that's not a problem. You want to make sure that's a problem that all of your potential TAM and all of your, your total addressable market has to a degree or, or is getting. You want to make sure it's not just a small cohort of guinea pigs that have mm -hmm. that problem, but most of the market does. And I think this is, this is a pretty common mistake that happens is companies make a product that they think works for a big market, but it actually only works for a small cohort of the market because only a small cohort of the market actually has that problem 
or you know that your solution works for, they see some immediate success, you know, hitting that low hanging fruit, getting those early customers. They jump up to you know, five, 10 million in revenue. They think they figured it out. And then all of a sudden they kind of hit a wall because they have to go outside of that initial core group um, where the selling was, was easy and the product worked and then they need to sell to a lot more. And it turns out the product doesn't really work or the market doesn't really want it for the rest mm-hmm. of the market. And that's why I think you see a tremendous amount of companies that are able to get to five, 10 million in revenue, you know, pretty quickly, but then all of a sudden they run out of steam. And, and that's probably, you know, it's very common. I mean, the, the hardest thing is not getting off the ground at all, but I think too often you hit five or 10 million and then, you know, growth gets a lot slower because it's harder to find, you know, those next Did you hit that with attentive and have to like re, uh, recalibrate it all? We did not with attentive. With my prior company, we were much more worried about it, which is part of the business. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> we, we got to about 20 something million in revenue. And, you know, we, we looked and you know, that, that's, you know, we, we went from zero to, to 20 in about a little over a year. So it was, it was very fast. But we looked at it and we said, you know what, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get to 40 uh, or, or 30 for that matter in the next mm-hmm. year. So, so I, I think that you, you, um, well, it's, it, it's very hard to see out a couple years. Like when we were starting to kind of the idea of getting it to hundreds of millions of revenue, which is, it's at now. Um, yeah, many, many hundreds from zero in seven years. It's hard to imagine, but at the same time, it's seven years in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? I had a much better idea on what was possible in the next six to 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when you found, let's, whatever the term people are using these days, product market fit, or, you know, when you were like, okay, this attentive thing is going to work, we're, we're going to do text message marketing for e commerce brands, you know, and, and you found that was working. One thing that I'm thinking about is like, okay, we have this thing, it's working with a few subset of customers, right? We're getting some revenue in. How did you think about how you were going to like hire early on, right? And I know this is a big question that people have is like, all right, who's your first hire? What what are your first hires going to be? How did you think about that specifically for attentive? Uh, and, and would you have changed anything? Well, if you got the money for it, the number one hire I would make early on is a full-time in-house recruiter. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a role that CEOs, you know, CEOs always say, oh, you know, I spend a bunch of time recruiting. But if you actually look at the calendar, often they don't spend that much time. And um, I was at a dinner a few weeks ago where the, the, the CEO of OpenAI said that he has spent, the, over the last, I think, six years, he spent 30-something percent of his time doing recruiting. And he looks at his calendar each week to make sure he's doing that much. And he's still spending over 30% of his time recruiting. And it's probably like the hottest tech company out mm-hmm. there, right? I, I think that I can't underestimate the value of spending time recruiting and its ability to bring in top talent. And I think that, especially now, we're, we're you know, can be pretty competitive for that, that talent. And I think if you have a full-time person that's just focused on that, you're going to have incredible fun with people. You're going to be able to pick great people. And also, by the way, if for whatever reason someone's not working out, it's not a fit that you hired, whatever, it's also 
much easier to replace people as your business is growing. Whereas on the other hand, if you don't have that and it's really just reliance on you and, you know, to go figure it out, I think that's very hard. And, you know, some people hire outside recruiters, but they're very expensive, A, and, and, and B, there's an incentive disalignment, mm-hmm. right? Because outside recruiters, point, they, they just want to fill the role, right? They're, they're not really worried if the person is going to work out and do great. They kind of just want to fill roles. And yeah, fun. yeah. That's actually interesting because a lot of people I, I've asked are like, hey, uh, which I've, I've kind of thought the same thing too. It's like, hey, have like hire customer success managers when you're first hired. You know, there's a common one. Another one's like engineering. Um, Lenny uh, Rachowski has a newsletter. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's a pretty good. He's like a he was like product Airbnb. It's a huge product newsletter. You should get on his podcast, by the way. Um, he's got a like a hundred k followers or something on his newsletter. So good size too. Um, anyways, long story short, he put out this uh, chart recently, and the chart was like all your first hires. I and I didn't see recruiter. And it was like 20 top SaaS companies. I didn't see a recruiter on any one of those, <laughs> right? Which is, yeah. If it's a SaaS company, I think that they're, you know, look, there's a yeah, founding yeah. team. And I, and I, you know, my, my answer changes a little bit to the founding team. But I think the mm-hmm. ideal founding team is a product person, a tech person, and someone that can work the business side, you know, yeah. salesperson type, type mm-hmm. mindset, right? But after those core three, I think the most important hires are A, yeah. the recruiter, uh, and B, inside sales. And the, the, the reason I like inside sales a lot um, is that you can, on a cost-effective basis, you can get a tremendous amount of customer feedback very early. And that ultimately should shape the product that you decide to build. Um, you can hear the customer problem. You can build up the customer funnel quickly. Yeah, I, I think it's a huge mistake to go hire a handful of engineers early on um, or, or something like that. Sometimes you strike gold, right? Sometimes you, you get a team mm-hmm. of five or six engineers and they build the right thing. Most of the time they don't. Yeah. And the worst thing about having a bunch of engineers is that you got to give them something to do and then they go build it and then you got to go sell it and then no one wants it. And then you just built this thing and you got to go back to them and say, you know what, this thing you just spent the last six months building, I, you know, no one wants it. And then they're, you know, they're discouraged. They don't trust you. They don't want to build the next thing. So I, I think it's very, very dangerous to hire a handful of engineers early on and just start building shit. I, I go by the mindset of build last yeah. uh, rather than, you know, this, this often pushed idea, just start tinkering. I, I think that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is, I feel like you have to screw up a few times to actually like figure that out on your own too, right? Because you ask friends and like, they'll come to me because I built, I built a lot of things just as, as you have. Most of those things have failed, right? Um, mo- yeah. <laughs> Most of those things have failed. Uh, and that's the stuff I don't, I don't think a lot, enough people talk about, but you know, most of the things that I built have failed and it took me three or four times to realize like, before you build anything, like you have to understand if this is something people really want, which is the obvious thing. And then these mental models that I've put together it myself are like, and I always live by these before I built this, this new product that we, that we're building is like one, can you take something that already exists and make it like 10% better, right? Or 20% better. Right. Um, 
Two, can you democratize something that like only people with money are using that like Uber, for example, getting black cars, right? Uh, which is obviously, a, 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 you know, one of the bigger examples, but, or can you do that? And then the third thing is like, if you build something that you yourself would use, there's probably a million other people out there that would use it. Um, and those are kind of the three things I've done. And before the first things I started to build, the big mistake that I made was like, oh, I think other people would think this is a cool idea and this is going to be the next SpaceX or whatever. Right. And then you kind of like shoot for the moon, realize that like, Hey, there's so many like that. There's so many things wrong with that. The timing could be off the, it could be not solving the right problem. It could be for the right market, yada, yada, yada. Um, so it just took me so long to do that. Um, which is interesting why you say that. And, and now I have buddies that come to me all the time and they go, Hey, I want to build this app. Right. Um, and I go, Oh, you know, what's the app? What do you want to do? And they're like, well, it does this thing and it does this and it goes from X to Y and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why can't you build that with the spreadsheet first? Right. And they'll go, well, no, because that's not cool. And I'll tell them, well, it, it may not be cool, <laughs> but like if you think about it, if someone's not going to get download your spreadsheet that solves this particular issue, what, what makes you think that they're going to go through all the loopholes of downloading an app on their phone? Right. Um, and then that, so now I'm kind of the friend that they don't come to with ideas on apps because I'm just going to tell them like the truth, which kind of, which kind of sucks, but I'm sure you've experienced that too. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think politeness is probably the, the greatest killer of entrepreneurial uh, ambitions. And what I mean about that is when people have a particular concept, idea, whatever. They go around, they talk to people about it, a few people. And everyone just says, oh, that's great. That, that's awesome, Andy. That's cool stuff. That, that sounds great, right? And you're like, oh, wow, everyone says it's great. I should, I should definitely spend some of my money and spend a bunch of my time, which your time is the most valuable thing, and, and go build this thing. And it's, it's bullshit because most of the people, they, they might not even have even known what you're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They don't, even know what you're talking, they don't even know what you're talking about. Most people don't have any idea what you're talking about, right? Because they're like, uh-huh, yeah, that sounds good, Andy, sure. Okay, like they, they don't care. The, the few that might, though, and actually get it, they don't want to tell you that because they think that if they tell you that, you're not going to like them. And, and it's going to be a problem for them, and you're going to say, oh, Brian's a dickhead because he told me you know, my, my, my private side. And uh, I think that's very, very hard to overcome. You need to, you need to create an environment where people can give you actual critical feedback on what they like, don't like, and how much they really think about your product. And I'm always astonished um, by, by, by what happened. Like, you'll do a pitch. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to solve this, this problem, this solution, et cetera. What do you think? First, oh, it's great. And they're asking questions. You think it's going great. But every time, I like to get a rating. So I like to say, okay, a 1 to 10 scale, 1 being... You know, I'm not at all interested. 10 being, I love this. I want to buy it now. You know, let's, let's go. I'm going to invest. What, what level of interest are you? And you'll think the pitch is going great. And then the person will be like, you know, seven or, you know, seven and a half, which is basically mm -hmm. a, a one, right? Like they tell you it's seven or seven and a half. That means, you know, for most people, that's like a point very low score. So. Um, I, I think that just by pushing people to get you that thing. And then also I think opening up the, 
you say, okay, well, what do you like? They give me what you like. And once they give you some positive feedback, then it opens them up. They're like, okay, great. What do you wish was different? And then that's the only, you know, that's the feedback that really matters. And I think you need to also, you need to be intellectually honest. This is the other thing that I think people, they get into. And this kind of comes from laziness, frankly, which is that you spend some time, you have an idea, you want to go do it. You don't really want to be bugged with like the fact that the idea doesn't work. You don't want to have to go find new ideas. So you just want everyone and everything to tell you that it's great. So you only hear the good feedback. And when you hear bad feedback, you say, yeah, whatever, bad feedback, I don't really care. So I, I think that's, that's the other kind of big danger uh, is, is, is someone just, you know, sort of uh, putting their blinders on and, and only hearing the positive stuff and then they just keep doing it. And look, I've seen a lot of people do this when they have a company and they'll have a thing and they'll do it mm -hmm. for years and years and years. And never heard what yeah, the real that's a, inertia kicking in for you know the bad inertia i guess is what you could say right and and not being intellectually honest over time it compounds into you getting more of that inertia right and then like the and then you you kind of convince yourself or create that narrative in your head like no everyone else is wrong everyone else is wrong everyone else is wrong you feel stronger and stronger about it um, and this is coming from, uh, my own experiences as well. Like having done that. Right. Um, question for you, who do you go to for honest advice? Like, do, do you have a board of advisors or like, you know, a, a group of friends that you go to and you're like, Hey, is this, is this idea shit or not? Or I'm trying to thinking of doing this. What do you think? I mean, look, I have a whole bunch of entrepreneur friends and I speak very openly about what I'm thinking about doing in companies and things like that. Like, I think that another sort of classic mistake is people that are um, super secretive yeah. about what they're doing. And, you know, I, I got some bad news for you. Like most ideas and things there's other people already working on and they're probably not going to be your buddies and friends you're talking about. There's people everywhere and, you know, a lot of it's going to be execution yeah. to it. We figure it out. But I, I think that the, 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 the openness, I, I've always been pretty open um, when talking to, to buddies and friends about, you know, what, what you're doing. I don't, but I also think, look, that only goes so far. You got to go talk to people that are your buyers, right? Which are often not your, mm -hmm. your, your, your friends and people like it's, it's those random people, which is why I think adding an inside salesperson, preferably a couple early on doing those random meetings. They're not friends of friends. They're not going to be polite. They're, they're random people who just going to tell what they think. Um, I think it's super, super powerful to, to get real feedback. Uh, or early on and uh and then you know then, then you know yeah. if it's gonna work or and not. That, that's actually it seems again another piece of advice i like that seems contrary to what most people say right like the first one being the recruiter right like i haven't heard anyone say that which is, but when you think about it it makes total sense because all of the logic that people hear and we tell ourselves is like hey you know uh it, recruiting is the number one thing you need to be doing all the time. And as you know, CEOs always say like, Hey, yeah, we, recruiting is our number one job. But then when you look, they're not actually doing it. Uh, you want to be a big time, if you want to be a big time CEO, I think there's really only three <laughs> things that you do. And, and maybe there's maybe a fourth in the corner, but there's really three things you do. Um, one is you need to figure out the vision for the business. And that means identifying a real problem and then testing different solutions to solve that problem. Right. Number two is get the money in the bank. And the money in the bank is typically based on whether or not people buy the vision, which is usually tied to like yeah. a bigger market and trends, and your own reputation. 
because early funding is basically trusting the person that you're giving this big check to that they're going to go spend that money building something of value. And by the way, they could just pay themselves a whole bunch yeah, of money, yeah. you know, and never go anywhere. And you get no control for them not to do that. So it's very much a reputational thing. So number one is vision. Number two um, is getting the money in the bank. And then number three is the people. It's yeah. the recruiting, right? It's just finding people. And why do the people come and work at the company? They come and work at the company because of the vision and because the company has money <laughs> yeah. to pay them. <laughs> Based on your reputation, right? Now there's like a, there's like a fourth bucket of things, um, which is like accountability and, and making sure that everyone's accountable and keeping them accountable and setting the pace and, and yeah, keeping the speed yeah. of the company because speed is, speed's what's going to make your company successful. Like, you know, you talked about Elon earlier. You know, Elon's number one statement is that speed is the ultimate offense and defense. Speed is basically all that fucking matters in the company. So like if you are able, and what I mean by speed, um, is not building one product and say, we're going to make it in six months. You build the one product as fast as you can and do it in a month or six or six weeks or whatever it is. We built our first product for attendance in about, I think it was about 45, 50 days, right? And we just got it out there, minimum product possible and just started, you know, shipping it, get it out in the world mm-hmm. and, and getting numbers from it. It gives you a lot more at that. But those three things are, are really, to me, what, what matters, uh, you know, vision, money, uh, recruiting people. And then, you know, there's a, but like, if you recruit the right people, that fourth bucket of like needing to, to keep people accountable, you, you do that a lot less if you recruited great people. <laughs> because great people don't need to be held accountable. Great people have a passion for great work and they just want to do great work and, and, and ship things and scale it. And that was probably the biggest difference between my, my first company and my second company is that I was able to hire better people that, um, that, you know, were able to just rock and roll without a lot of my oversight, really. And that allowed me to just focus on what I do best. And let's talk about that. Like, what, what what's your mental model for, like, this figuring out if someone is a great rock, like going to be one of those people that you don't have to hold accountable because you know, they're going to do a great job. Like what, what do you look for when you're interviewing them, especially early on, right. In the company later, it's a little harder because you're probably weren't involved in all the hires, maybe mostly just executives, but what did that checklist look like early on? And then how did it shift or did it stay the same as you became a 1200 person plus company? You, you have to understand what drives someone, what's in their heart. Um, what do they want? What do they care about? And how that maps to the job that you mm-hmm. want them to do. Um, so, you know, I like to ask people basic questions like, what's their ultimate dream and goal? You know, why are they doing this? Why do they think this job is a step towards that, that dream and, and, and that goal? Why do they have that dream and goal? Um, you know, uh, what's it based in? You know, what's their ideal setup? I, I do think that there is a portion, like, look, Anyone who can find the thing that they want to do in life and, and do that thing, it's not going to be work. It's, it's going to be doing their mm-hmm. thing. They're going to like doing it, right? And if you like doing it, then you're going to do it all day long happily, right? And then look, there, there are always parts of these jobs that, that stink, right? There's always going to be a component of it. And certainly earlier in your career, there's probably more of it that stinks because you have to build up to getting certain skill sets and certain things um, to, to reach different milestones. But like, you have to be understanding how that fits into a larger structure of, of, of building a dream that you're getting toward. 
those. And, and, I, and I think that's what, what my biggest thing is, is making sure that those are aligned. Because I want to help someone who has a particular dream that aligns with what our company can, can give them on that dream. If it can't, then they're never going to be that motivated to work in a company yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you, you just in, intuitively get an eye for that over time too, or like an ear for it, I should say, right? Of, of, of being able to sit down with someone and be like, does this align? And like, are they truly going to just care about reputation and doing a good job, regardless if I hold them accountable or not? You know? And there's a caveat there too that like, if you're hiring people that are like straight out of, you know, school, or you know, actual level, something like that. They're probably not going to have the best <laughs> yeah. because they're, mm-hmm. they're like, like, like they just, they just, uh, they may not have gotten that there and, and figured it out yet. Um, and, and, and that's totally fun, right? Some of the best hires I've had were people that you know they weren't exactly sure, but they know they really wanted to achieve something and do something mm-hmm. great, but they weren't exactly sure how that fit into their plan. And that's that's fine. What worries me, like I was interviewing somebody the other day who was like, you know, hey, what do we want to do? And they were like, well, I, you know, I want to be a psychologist and, and therapist. And I was like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. And they're like, and, and, they're like, and we just had like a 10 minute interview. It was fine. And they would get to that. And, said, well, and they go, well, you know, um, I feel like uh, what, what I've heard is that I can't do that job for like, you know, another five to eight years because, you know, you have to be a bit older before people trust you to give advice. So I'm just going to do other stuff between then and now. And I was like, well, that's fine. You know, but mentally I'm thinking to myself, but you're not going to do that working with me because, you know, we don't have sponsored people that are just waiting to do something else. And they're just kind of like, you know, yeah. checking in and checking out. Like we want someone who has a passion for it and it's fitting into their vision because they do well in this role. They're moving up roles and they're getting more and they're excited. And I want to help people like and I don't, I want to focus on helping people that are like that and not people yeah, that have some other yeah, interests. Yeah. And something that, that strikes me here is, you know, you think it sounds like you just asked some very simple questions, Sim- simple, uh, I would say on the front end, right. But it can be more complex in the back end, but simple on the front end, like, Hey, what is your dream? Like, what, what is it that you want to accomplish? And the, the more I've learned and like the older I've gotten, I've always, I've learned that you know, you think when you get out of school, you have to ask these super tough questions for people and you know, they have to be like some great questions and, you know, out of nowhere, the best questions in the world. When really the most simple questions give you the best answers a lot of the time uh, on what you need to know. And I don't know, it's kind of coming full circle here with, in, dis- in discussing this with you, because, you know, I would have thought you would have had some crazy mental checklist of like, hey, here's how we hire great people after all these years. And no, it just comes down to like, hey, what what are their goals, and and how does that align with where this company's going? <laughs> you know, like what is it you want to do, right? It, well, I mean, there's where's your heart at, and then where is your yeah. skill, right? And um, the the reality for a lot of roles is that you don't need um, some incredible intellect or some ridiculous. Uh, skill in order to be successful. Obviously, you know, for engineering jobs, you're going to make yeah. sure that the person is, course, is, course, is, yeah. is a great engineer. Um, yeah. So th- th- there's things that obviously you're going to you're going to test for. But at the end of the day, I think the heart has to be there. Um, and and I think you know the skill bar certainly the, 
depends by rule. You want to make sure the skill bar is, is reached and over. And, and you, you run into that issue on the skill bar for sure. And, um, and, and there's many a person that we say, oh, is this person really going to be happy in this? Like, are they going to be happy in this role? Are they going to be excited to do this role? And is there part in it? And that to me is, is harder yeah. to, to see. Whereas like skill thing, you can kind of, yeah. you can kind of rock. And, and getting on this topic, which is related, like you're hiring people so that they can do a great job. But as you know, a founder, you're like the company's your baby and you kind of want to like, a lot of founders have this trait of perfectionism, right? Or like wanting to oversee, make sure things are done right because it is your baby. You, you know, it, you care a lot about it. How have you gotten over, how, how have you thought about delegation, right? Kind of and let your, I would say, been able to delegate better to these people over time, right? And, and have you dealt with it? Because I'm sure you struggle with it at some time, at some point, uh, maybe I'm assuming that, but you've had to like kind of work on that skill and be okay with other people kind of doing um, things when they wouldn't be as good as, as you would do, right? Maybe in that sense. So how, how have you dealt with that? Well, I think there's a few things. <clears throat> but one is the thing that my <clears throat> my exec coach, this guy, Matt Mochari, amazing exec coach, does where he, he goes back through, you know, you go back through your calendar, you basically say what gives you energy <clears throat> versus what takes energy away. And <clears throat> focusing on stuff that really gives you energy is, is, is a big thing that he pushes. And um, I think that, if you can find where things that give you energy and that you're also good at come together, focus your time on that. And then wherever possible. Mm. What is that for you? What do you, what do you think that is for you? Well, look, that, I think that changes over time with the needs yeah. of the company, right? Um, and, and the scale of the business. But, you know, for me, I think it's the intersection um, of being able to work on a, a problem and a solution for a product. So, you know, sort of finding that, that product market fit early on. Um, and then B, once you find that, uh, being able to work with different people across you know, marketing or, or sales or whatever it is, uh, partnerships to, to really scale that, that engine. Um, and, and I think that, you know, you, you, if, if that's what you're the best at, um, and then that's where you can you, you focus the time, you know. Like now, you know, with, with my company kind of like I spent this morning on some calls around um, our uh, positioning, uh, product positioning and packaging, and that's something that I I feel like I've um, held on to probably the longest and been the most intimately connected to because I think it's the most important document for that company is how we communicate, you know what our products are, how they work, why they're better to our customers, right? The sales deck and the material kind of around that most important document we have. So I would just focus on that, but there's all sorts of other shit. Oh, it's a blog post. Do you want to write it? I don't care. Cause no one like, there's a lot of other stuff that I wouldn't spend time on and just say, great. Um, and, and there's problems and there's issues and maybe may off, whatever. But like, if you get the stuff that, that really is the most impactful stuff, um, then that's great. And then two, I think as CEO, also just some, something else I like to really turn over in my head and, and push on is what is the boldest thing that we could be doing right now as a business? 
and just asking yourself that question on a regular basis. And then, because there's a, there's a CEO founder power that you have um, that I, maybe I didn't realize until somewhat recently, but there's an incredible power you have where like, you can kind of do anything. You can really do anything you want if you're the CEO founder, you really can. And, and I think that people don't realize that. They say, well, I can't do exit. No, you can really do anything. <laughs> so, so just so, so go do that. But because you're one of the few people that's empowered to do anything they want at the company, you, like, you know, obviously, I'm not saying, you can, but you really can kind of do anything. So you, you're empowered to do that. Most people are not. And that allows you to prioritize things and say, okay, I've raised my hand and said, this is, I'm going to, example, I'm going to do anything I want. Let's go do this. And you have an incredible ability to move things and push them. And, you know, you talked about Elon. I think that's really been Elon's biggest success. His, his power, but it's actually power that we all have, which is that as CEOs you have, is that you can say, let's just, let's just go do X. And I'm going to just push resources and go do X because I think X is the most important thing. And that's wow. it. I'm sure you, some people with that, with, with you know, hey, we're going to go do this. Some people may say, well, that's a different direction. You know, that, that, that's not where we want to go. Most people will. A lot of people will. And, and they'll say this is inconsistent. And, you know, you said something else nine months ago. And, you know, management's all over the place. And, you know, these guys don't know what they're doing and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You'll hear all of that. And, and that's fine because the experience that most people have, if they've worked other jobs and big companies and whatever, is the opposite of that, right? The experience they have is, company just kind of has the same Coca-Cola and it's just selling Coca-Cola over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And we're just going to keep doing that steady as she goes, whatever. So I, I think that, that that greeted with, you know, the chaos and speed that comes with like building a real fast moving fun company is very different. And, and I, and I tell people like, uh, you know, look, you gotta be cool with uh, <laughs> because we're going to learn things in the market. We're going to learn things in the market and we're going to find out, oh crap, you know, that thing we just spent the last whatever on, it's actually, we're just going to throw it away because something else is much cooler now. We're going to go do that. And, uh, and, and there's a reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is um, you, like, I'm, I'm taking notes here, right? Because, uh, you know, exactly what I just told you is exactly what, as you know, what happens. And it's almost like you just got to push through it you yourself as the CL founder and it's like, no people know that people aren't going to be, are, are going to be against it. And you just have to, you have to set that expectation that this is, this is just how we're going to roll. Well, I mean, but I'm, but I'm saying too, like, but you need to also though, as part of that, like, I'm not, I'm not saying to be an authority, yeah, authoritarian yeah. leader. What I'm saying is you should explain, Hey, here's why I'm thinking do this, that we should do this other thing or why here's my focus. Here's why I'm thinking it. Let's talk about it. We can all talk about it. And like, look, your mind may be changed. You may hear everyone's feedback and you may say, you know what? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Let's not do that. <laughs> like I've done yeah. that all so, so I think you do have to be willing to, to talk mm-hmm. over with people and hear feedback. But when you've got the conviction and you've thought it through and you've talked to people, my, my, my biggest point here that I'll just come back to is that you yeah. can do anything you want. And I, and I think that this is something that, that CEOs forget is that they can really do what they want. Um, and, and and there's so many excuses on why they can't. Oh, you know, such and such won't like it or such and such, whatever. You go, okay, but why is that? <laughs> yeah. like, you know, yeah. like, like if you, if what you want to do is you think is the best for the business, succeeding, 
And the reason that your investors gave you money is they're trusting mm-hmm. you um, yeah. ultimately. Then what are you doing? Yeah. Go do that. Yeah. Give us the, the two minute pitch on your book. Just so I want people, because I can give you my perspective. It's awesome. Uh, everyone should go read it, buy it, download it. It's it's like a legit startup handbook on how to raise money, build a company, think about all the stuff Brian and I just talked about. Um, but from your perspective, I kind of want to hear from you, Brian, on maybe why, well, why you wrote this thing and, and what you hope for the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good question. So, you know, look, I, I think at a, at a very high level, I would say this book is built to be an extremely, extremely tactical way for anyone to figure out what is a company that they can start, you know, from, from the beginning, how to find the idea, how to find a potential business that they can start, you know, from the ground level. Um, and then once you find that problem and begin experimentation, experimentation with that solution, it then has a whole bunch of, uh, you know, different, different practices and things that you can incorporate into hopefully making your business successful. And I'd like to just reiterate um, a few of kind of the, the, the core themes of the business um, that I think maybe are a little contrary mm-hmm. to what might be out there, which is number one, I think you should build last. Um, I, I think that it's a big mistake to just start building, you know, whether it's software or hardware or, you know, a physical product. I think it can be really, really dangerous and trap you to just start building and get stuck in a crappy company. You get committed to a crappy company. So don't do that. Number two, and this is like a little related to that, don't go social early on. Don't start putting it on LinkedIn. Don't start telling all your friends, this is your company, what's doing. It makes it much harder to change direction. If you have to call up all your friends and family and all these people and say, well, that thing I've been talking about for the last three to six months, actually, I decided it sucks and doing something else. So you don't want to, and you also don't want to post it on LinkedIn or anything like that, because then the minute that you posted it, you're committed to a degree and your network thinks that's what you're doing. And then you seem a little weird when you're changing it every three months. So I, I hold mm-hmm. off on going social for a while. We talked about how politeness kills. I think that's another big theme. So just make sure that you're getting real feedback. It can really hurt you and consider hiring, recruiting and sales uh, very early. So those are some of the some of the lessons, but if you check out the book, you'll you'll get even more. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll get this out, and then maybe in the future we'll have you on again uh, at a later time when when you write the second book or something like that. All right. All right. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Brian. Appreciate it. Oh, hey, take care.